I think God really is blessing this message this morning and is um, saying that this is really what I want them to hear because Christy started with exactly the scripture that I'm going to read in a few minutes and then Brad got up here and read another scripture that I'm going to read. So I think that's God saying, this is what I want you to hear today. Either that or he wanted them to say it and me just to sit down, one <laughs> or the other. <laughs> so let's pray. God, we know that you are present today. I know that you have guided me through this message and I ask that you continue to guide me as I speak today so that my words are the words that you want to be heard today. Open our hearts and minds to your message today. We ask this in Jesus name. Amen. So yesterday we enjoyed a great time. Um, I learned that when Patty Moore sits through the entire service here, that that is an anomaly. <laughs> she does not normally sit <laughs> for very long. And when she doesn't sit, she really bounces up and down a lot. But she also contributes a lot. We had a great time. For those of you who couldn't make it, um, I hope that the next time we do something like this, you try to join us because I think we're closer together we learned a lot about each other, and we learned a lot about God. One of the things that um, I talked about yesterday is salvation. Salvation is not a one-time thing. God expects growth. Salvation is a growth thing. Um, and I found this on the United Methodist website, which I go to fairly often, and I think this is important for us to hear, and I'm going to read it. Salvation is not a static one-time event in our lives. It is the ongoing experience of God's gracious presence transforming us into whom God intends us to be. John Wesley described this dimension of God's grace as sanctification or holiness. Through God's sanctifying grace, we grow and mature in our ability to live as Jesus lived. As we pray and study the scriptures and fast and worship and share in fellowship with other Christians, we deepen our knowledge of and love for God. As we respond with compassion to human need and work for justice in our communities, we strengthen our capacity to love neighbors. Our inner thoughts and motives as well as our outer actions and behavior are aligned with God's will and testify to our union with God. We're to press on with God's help in the path of sanctification toward perfection. And by perfection, Wesley did not mean that we would make not make mistakes or have weaknesses. Rather, he understood it to be a continual process of being made perfect in our love of God and each other and of removing our desire to sin. So I hope you listened when Christy told the little story here because that was the first little segment of my sermon and I'm just going to skip right over it because Christy already did it so I know you all remember it. Um, it. 
yeah, the Pharisees were trying to trick Jesus and said, what's the greatest commandment? And there are a gajillion commandments in the Old Testament, so there were a lot of them, and Jesus didn't miss a beat. The greatest one is love God with everything in you. But then he said, and the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And when he did that, he was quoting the Old Testament. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind is Deuteronomy 6. And love your neighbor as yourself is Leviticus 19.18. He was showing that he had knowledge of the scripture. Um, so we come today to think about, I know this is what Jesus said, but what does love mean? Because our society has taken the word love and watered it down to the point that it really doesn't mean much. Love you. Do you really feel loved when somebody says, love you? Mean it? Do we really, are we really using it correctly when we say, I love chocolate? It's true, but I don't think it's the way God meant it. We have taken love to mean something that God never meant it to be. Uh, I need slides. There we go. Okay. In, um, in 1 John 4.10, we read, This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Um, this is God's example of, lo of love. It's not just talking. Um, in 1 John 3.18, um, we read, Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in truth and action. God wants it to be action, not lip service, not Hollywood air kisses, not, you know, he wants us to do something. So God gave us an example of love. John 3.16, I have known for as long as I have memory. So <clears throat> probably not when I was two years old, but fairly soon after that, I knew John 3.16. And I memorized it from the King James Version because I am so old that that was the only version of the Bible when I was in Sunday school. So I had the believeths and the begottens and all of that. But in John 3.16, other side, I'm going the wrong way. See, Andy's pointing at me, and it does no good. He's back there waving his arms and pointing, and I don't get it. Gary, feel <laughs> he feels your pain. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. I've known this for a long, long time. And what I did until about 15 years ago is I started so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. He came to save me. He came to save the world. Yay. I'm saved. I mean, that's, 
I really did not dig down into this verse. I took it for granted because I had known it for so long. Um, that changed in 2004. The little cutie on the left, under the big, terrible glasses, is my baby boy, Chris. And on the right is his senior picture in his JROTC uniform with all his medals. Um, he went on to um, become a Marine. He was trained to fly the Harrier. Um, and through all that time, we were, as we continue to be in today, involved in Iraq. And in November of 2004, Chris called and he said, I'm going to be deployed for the first time and I'm going to Iraq. That's a picture, I'm sure you can tell from the sky that that's the sky over Iraq and why he took a selfie <laughs> in an airplane over Iraq, I don't know, but that is him flying over Iraq. So he said, I'm going to Iraq. And um, I did not react well. Um, <laughs> I am a very patriotic person. I have always been a very patriotic person. I had a student ask me once, are you so patriotic because your kid's a Marine? And I said, absolutely not. My kid's a Marine because I'm very patriotic. Um, I love my country. I love the people of my country. But I will be very honest with you. I told them yesterday there would be a tearful moment in this sermon, and here it is. <laughs> um, when Chris told me he was going to Iraq, I looked at all the people around me, and I thought, I don't really love you enough to give up my son. I don't love you that much to give up my son. And I was, I was angry, <laughs> bitter, kind of upset, you know. So he went, um, and in December, my daughter-in-law came with their 18-month-old baby Vic, and she brought with her a PowerPoint that Chris made before he left. And the PowerPoint was pictures of Kelly and Chris and Vic together, sweet little moments from their lives. And at the end, he wrote, I have to go because I love you, because I need to protect you. I need to save you. I have to go. And at that moment, when I read that, that verse took on an entirely new meaning for me. Because I really didn't love the world so much that I would give up my son. This is God's greatest example of love. That he loved us so much 
that he gave a part of him not to, as I was doing, not to go to a war where the casualty rate was pretty low and the casualty rate for pilots was extremely low. No. He gave his son knowing in advance that his son would be rejected, he would be reviled, he would be tortured, he would suffer an agonizing death, and he would be completely separated from God for three days. He knew that in advance. That is what God says love is. And not only that, Jesus, as God, knew that he was coming. He knew what he was coming to. He knew he was coming to live in a, a you know, Bethlehem was not a really nice place to live. Nazareth was not a really nice place to live. Certainly didn't compare to heaven. He was leaving heaven to live in a human body with all the human frailties. And again, he knew he was going to be rejected. He knew he was going to be tortured. He knew he was going to die an agonizing death and be separated from God for three days. But he did it anyway. That is love. So, I hit the right button. How do we d respond to this? Jesus gave us the great commandment. And the first, he said, was love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. And that's the first one. And then the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And all the law and prophets hang on this. I don't have to go back and read all those little bitty laws in the Old Testament. Because Jesus gave us a new law. I was a teacher when we went through this thing about you can't have ten rules like I had. You can only have two or three. They have to be stated positively. And I was like, you can't put all the rules into that. I finally did it. Jesus did that before education came up with it can't imagine that Jesus came up with something before education did. So how do we live the great commandment? How do we love God? See, we have this thing, love is just a feeling. I feel love for you. I love you, Christy. I love you, Christy. Love you, Drew. You know? We, we do these little things. God's given us specific ways that he wants us to show him love. We talked about all of this uh, yesterday quite at length, but I want to reinforce some of it. Um, I read a study that said that 20% of all Christians read the Bible every day. What if 20% of all married people spoke to their spouse every day or knew something? You know, we, you can't have a relationship if you don't know the other party. 
the Bible says pray without ceasing. How many days go by that we just don't pray at all? Because there's nothing we need. Everything's going good. Now we pray pretty consistently when things are going badly. <laughs> pray without ceasing. Worship God. God is amazing, awesome, worthy of praise. Worship God. Give thanks for everything. We take so much for granted in our lives. We don't do, we don't appreciate the things that we've been given. Um, I hear so many people say, oh, well, I've worked for everything I have. I agree. But God placed you in a position that you can work. God gave you the ability to work. God gave you the opportunity to work. Think about all the people in the world who don't have an opportunity to work. People who live in garbage dumps because they don't have that opportunity. Give thanks for everything that we have. Trust God. I have a big issue with that. I'm not good at that. And that's has to do with a lot of things in my background, but it's hard for me to trust, to let go. That thing, let go and let God, Gary would have it tattooed on my forehead if he could because I have trouble letting go. Keep his laws, and it, it, that goes back to studying the Bible. If we don't know the Bible, we don't know his laws. Submit to God. And that means... Submit in every part of your life. Submit to him with your time, with your talents. And I'm going to start interfering with your money. Seek God. God said, if you seek me, you will find me. Don't just sit around waiting on God to come to you. He's there all the time. Seek him. Serve God. Serving God is one of the things that we have trouble with. We sort of, you know, I've got my, I have to work. I have laundry to do. I have kids to take care of. I don't have time to serve God. What if Jesus said, I don't have time to go to the cross? I don't have time to go down there and fool with you people for 33 years and then die. Serve God. He gave everything for us. What do we do for him? The second one is love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus in Matthew told the story he said when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him then he will sit on the throne of his glory and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate people one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left and then the king will say to those at his right hand come 
you that are blessed by my Father, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that I saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, truly, I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are the members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, you that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food and I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink and I was a stranger and you did not welcome me naked and you did not give me clothing sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And then they will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? And then he will answer them, truly, I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. So love your neighbor as yourself. We have a very independent culture. We have a culture where we say, I, I need to take care of myself and you need to take care of yourself. And that's the way it works. That's not what God calls us to do. He calls us to love others, to serve others, to respect others, respect all others, not just the ones we like, um, to care for those in need. I've, I confessed yesterday that I've always been pretty self-righteous about the fact that I'm not a, pre a, a prejudiced person. I don't, you know, race, culture, you know, the way you dress, the, you know, the, those things don't bother me. I don't, I don't have a problem with that. But as I have, as my doctors say, as you age, as I have aged, <laughs> I have realized that I do have prejudices. But my prejudices are not about the way people are born. They're about the way people behave. And there is nothing in the Bible that says I'm supposed to love only the people who behave right. It says I'm supposed to love everybody. And I'm not good at that. I'm not good at loving people who are self-centered or rude or mean or, you know, all those behaviors. I have trouble with that. And... I found that I need to I need to change the way I look at everybody. Um, this morning, I was um, doing some prayer and meditation, and I, I, I felt the need to add two things here. Um, one is what Brad, part of what Brad read, and I just want to repeat it because 
um, this is something that uh, some of you know. We have three adopted granddaughters. They uh, were adopted when they were 15, 14, 13, 14, and 15 years old. Um, they're sisters. And the two biological granddaughters were three and six at the time. And the older granddaughters had not been raised in a Christian home, had not been raised in a home that valued other human beings in any way. And so fairly soon after they were adopted, I made up these little posters for each granddaughter that said, I am patient with my sisters. I am kind to my sisters. I do not envy my sisters. I am not proud. I do not dishonor my sisters. I am not self-seeking. I don't get angry with my sisters very easily. I don't keep record of wrongs. I think I know that if just all the Christians in the world truly lived that, the world would be revolutionized. If just the people in this room truly lived that every day, this whole town, this area, would be revolutionized. We could have a revival among everything. We need to live that. And y'all may not believe this, but I believe that God gives us messages from all different things, so I believe that God leads me on the Internet. Maybe it's just me wandering around, but I do find good things on the Internet. So this morning as I was praying, this is a part of a, a, a website on loving that talks about what loving your neighbor really is. And it says, love is aware of the people around us. That's not being self-centered. Love is observant. Love sees what needs are there and what, what, needs, uh, what we need to be doing. Love is compassionate. Love responds to need. Love is costly. Uh, especially if you're a parent, you understand that love is costly. It's costly to give up your time and your resources to other people. Love is inconvenient. It doesn't... Love doesn't wait for the time when you have time to do it. Love is sacrificial. As you leave today, I want you to meditate on how you need to love your neighbor and how you need to love God. Um, and I have a song that I want to play that just kind of speaks to that. And I think. I can do this. Put it that way. You have my heart, and I am yours forever. You are my
God, we praise you for your unfailing love. Move us to do more than think about loving you, to think about loving our neighbor. Move us to act. Move us to action that is big and crazy like the actions that you showed us our, your love with. God, thank you for your message of love. And thank you, I praise your holy name and your healing hand that you have allowed me to stand for this period of time with no pain. And that's just you, God, because this has not happened in a long time. And I praise you, God. Thank you. Amen.